Today, our speakers, Rob and Vicki Anthony from Marseille, France, have been serving the Lord for at least 25 years. And what a blessing it's been just to see them serving the Lord and honoring Him in their lives and to see people growing in Him through their ministry. And Rob, would you want to come and tell us some more about your ministry? Well, good morning again. Good, yeah, good afternoon now. Uh, it's good to be with you and uh, to have some time to, to share a little bit about uh, what's been happening in France. Um, biggest thing is we really don't work in France. Do not, most people make the mistake that Marseille is France. Marseille is an occupied city of France. We speak French, but Marseille is not France. Legally it is, but uh, you know, in any other way, Marseille is Mediterranean. And so the, the people that are there and the, the culture and the atmosphere is Mediterranean. Uh, we are not a typical French city, uh, even though we're the second largest city in France. Um, we're the oldest city in France, but Marseille started out as a Greek colony. It was founded by the Greeks in 600 BC, about the same time as what other bi- major biblical event? Oh, no one, you were going to win a free, all expense paid trip to France if you could have answered that question. In 586 BC was the Babylonian exile. Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, was taken into Babylonian captivity. And that was just a few years after Marseille was founded as a city. And so it's a very ancient city. Uh, became a Roman colony under Julius Caesar, and then a city-state, and then eventually was occupied, uh, kind of conquered, given to France as a, I think, a birthday present or something when one of the kings married someone's daughter and etc. But so it is a very mixed um, culture, much like Los Angeles here isn't a typical American city. Los Angeles is a is a more be- Pacific City. It is a very mixed um, group of people. As, as you look around here, you know, there's people from all over, you know, the world. Well, in, in France and in Marseille, if you were to be driving around the city, you would be going past gypsy camps, and you'll never know that they were there. The gypsies work, live in, uh, a lot of them live, still live in uh, camping trailers and in abandoned buildings. They'll find an abandoned lot somewhere or maybe a piece of land between the railroad tracks and a shopping center or whatever, and that becomes their campground. And usually you don't notice them as you go behind, as you go by them on the street. And if you didn't know they were there, you would never see them. You can drive right by a gypsy church, and you will never know that it's there. Because there's no signs. And if you're not a gypsy, you won't know that it's there. There's no signs. It's usually in like an abandoned building. And, but there might be 50 to 100 people there. And once you open the doors, you will hear the music, and then you will realize that, yes, there is a church here. But I say these kind of things because pretty much in our entire ministry, our focus has been on what are known as unreached, or another word might be hidden peoples. When we worked in, in Chad, we worked with a group that had no gospel witness to it. There was no church. It was a group called a Muslim group called the Kanembu. They live just below the Sahara Desert, but in a band between the Sahara Desert and Lake Chad. And most of us have never heard of the Kanembu people. It's not, you know, we, we look at Africa and we speak, well, maybe they speak Swahili or uh, if you know any little bit more, maybe Hausa. Uh, and we think, well, you know, all Africans speak Swahili. You know, that's what they show in the movies. But there are uh, several thousand language groups 
of people in Africa, and the Cannonball were one of them. And there's no gospel witness, no church. There were no missionaries going, reaching out to them, no Bible, no scriptures in their language. I'm going to spill this, so I'm going to put it over here. My wife says I'm part Italian because I always. <laughs> and when we moved to, when we could no longer stay in France, in Chad, we moved to France. And again, our focus has been on the, the less reached. And if you think that France is a, a Christian country, because it's civilized, you make a mistake. Who, which country do you think has more believers? India, Hindu India, or Christian France? India has about, I think, about 1% Christians. France has 0.01% Christians. And so there is a higher percentage of Christians in India than in France, at least evangelical Christians, Bible-believing, true, genuine believers in Jesus Christ. And so even in France, as we moved there, our first desire was we thought we would be helping the French church reach out to Muslims. We had experience working with Muslims. We spoke what we what became we understood now as a dialect of French, poorly maybe at that, according to the French. And so we were asked if we could come and help, the, help in France and working help the French church to reach out to Muslims. Once we arrived there, we learned that the French church really isn't even equipped to reach out to their own people. The, there's a very low biblical knowledge in the French church. Um, a lot of people coming out of, if they even came out of any religion, were Catholic, and they had virtually no understanding, no knowledge of the scriptures. And so basically, either you're starting from zero or even below zero in their biblical understanding. And so France really is one of those less reached countries, um, especially today. I think it was the, I can't remember, I just turned 57, and you know what happens when you get past 50, your memory goes. But I believe the last time I was here, we had talked, mentioned about the possibility of, of having some inroads into the gypsy community. And we had met a gypsy pastor, a young pastor who was wanting to start a church. And he was kind of blacklisted out of his denomination. The gypsies have a denomination and a whole setup there, but no one knows about it. But he had stepped out of that because he had seen that there was a, a large abuse of spiritual pastors among the a large spiritual abuse of power among the pastors there. Uh, if you were attended and listened to any of this, the Strange Fire Conference, that is exactly how the gypsies work. What do you know or what are some of your preconceived ideas about gypsies? Burglars, thieves, beggars, poor, you know, there are no preconceived ideas about gypsies because everything you have ever heard, seen on the movies, etc., about gypsies is true. <laughs> they in the church there. We we began. This pastor had uh, had stepped aside because he had seen that basically, in a to be a gypsy pastor in their denomination, if you can't slay someone in the spirit in ten seconds, obviously you don't have the anointing. And so they are very engaged in those kind of activities. And this pastor had stepped aside and he said, that's not in the Bible. And so he had wanted to have set up something a little more biblical, something that was also um, more interactive with other churches. And so this last year we've been involved in the Gypsy Church and I'm going to, looking at my notes, I'm going to just stop there for a second. Um, but France is a very beautiful country, very spiritually dark. Um, Facebook is really cool for missionaries because we can keep in contact, but it's very frustrating also because a lot of other countries have a lot of things happening, 
And we see people like in Ukraine or Russia and Samara and wherever talking about how they'll have 50 people. And we're like, well, if we have two or three, if we have five, we're ecstatic. And um, so last year, about this time, we needed a break. We were tired of, of ministering among uh, and as resistant people. And so we went to India. And... Sammy and Nicole Williams sent out an SOS and asked us if we would come. We had a great time. There it goes. Had a great time ministering with them uh, in their seminary. Uh, about 30 men, and my wife Vicki was able to spend some time with the pastor's wives there. Um, really good time there. And it was encouraging for us to see people that were hungry for the word. While we were there, it was a monsoon season. They said that was the coolest part of the year. Monsoon in Goa, in that part of India, means that in three weeks it rained 10 feet. It, it constantly was a constant downpour that never stopped for more than about one hour. And those are the women that um, Vicki worked with. Well, in the Gypsy Church, there was a young pastor who wanted to start a new church, and something less traditional, more biblical. Uh, he asked if I would come and could, we could come and help him in preaching and teaching. And so I had a free reign to do that. When I said that the, the gypsies, you know, share, for those of you who know, share sang a song, the gypsies, tramps, and thieves. As I got to know the, the people there, every single one of the men had been in jail at least one or two nights. The men would tell me stories of how they used to hijack railroad trains. They would put uh, bricks and stones on the tracks, and then when the train had to stop, they'd break the locks off some of the, the cars in the back and open them up and steal things out. When I asked the women, what kind of things did you, uh, what hobbies did you do as a child? Their eyes lit up and they said, we loved shoplifting. <laughs> oh. And they said we would go out and shoplift even if we didn't need anything. And they, would tell, they told us stories of how they would make purses with double bottoms and things. And you're sitting there and it's kind of like, okay. Um, if you watch the Disney, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, the Esmeralda was a fortune teller. What is fortune telling? Witchcraft, sorcerer. There, the gypsy culture is, is deeply involved in sorcery. And as we began talking with them, a number of them said that their, their mothers, mothers-in-laws, people in their family were deeply involved in the occult and sorcery. And so we saw that the, the pastors and, and all of these spiritual, you know, whole, quote, this is for the type, quote-unquote, Holy Ghost behavior, comes right out of their culture. It fits right in with their culture. Uh, just as um, Conrad and Bewe said that, that it fits into the African culture, it fits into the gypsy culture as well. You know, these supernatural things and a, an emphasis on dreams and visions and prophecies and, and falling down and everything, that's part of their culture, and it's been part of their culture for thousands of years. Well, we were able to, to have free reign, and the, and the pastor was trying to get away from some of that. Um, you know, it still had a lot of that. These are some of the pictures. Uh, there's two different places that we were because we changed locations in the middle of our stay there. So there's a church of about... Around 50 to 100 people, just depending on who, who came. We had meetings on Wednesday nights, on Friday nights, and on, on Sunday nights. This is the women's group that lasted for two weeks. This was a baptismal service. We had 10 people that were baptized. And 
and they, as I spoke with them and so forth, they were truly converted and had a, we had a good time talking with them. And a lot of the guys that were the men came to the training classes that we had. We tried also to show them uh, what Sunday school would look like. Typically, the, the women get married when they're about, drop out of school when they're about after junior high and uh, get married when they're about 16. And so that gives you a little few little images there. One of the things that we worked in was, uh, is Bible training and Bible teaching. We have a couple of... The, one of the interesting things in the Gypsy Church was that it was primarily men. There was more men that came than women. And a number of the men came to the training classes. We did a, a class on how to study the scriptures, uh, an, a review, uh, an overview of the Old Testament, how the, everything ties together in the story. And a lot of the guys came up afterwards and said, I've, I've never understood the Bible that way rather than just a collection of odds and ends and good sayings. And we're hopefully that that will continue um, in the future as well. Uh, Every year we have a basketball outreach. And one of the interesting things was that the the housing project, this is the team that came over from a church in uh, Columbus in Indiana, and you can see the housing projects in the backgrounds. These are the apartment buildings that they live in, and we've been doing this project for about eight years now. This was the seventh camp that we've had, and a lot of the the people in this church live right there in that housing project. So as we came into the Gypsy Church and began telling them about us they're like oh yeah you're the ones that had the basketball camp every year and so we had almost an instant um, acceptance except in what was the other words rapport another any other words (laughs) with the with the people there and most of the kids that came um, are um, from muslim families and so for the last eight years and seven different summers, we've had uh, 50 young Muslim boys come out and, and hear testimonies of how Christ has transformed the lives of the team that comes over. Um, haven't had anyone, quote, come to Christ out of that. We work in conjunction. We have to have um, a... Uh, authorization from the the city we're on a city playground and so we can't do invitations we can't say okay who wants to come to christ who wants to pray raise your hand but we we have a freedom to to share what god has done in our lives what drew what drew us to christ to share some of the scriptures that were important to us and so these boys have been able to hear the the gospel in that manner it was interesting this year we had two high school boys come over with their dads who, all, who were basketball coaches. And the boys said, you know, there was the pastor, his wife, and there was six adults. And the boys were like, do we have to hang out with you guys all day or can we stay in the housing project? So several days they stayed in the housing project with the, the, the Muslim and the gypsy kids and, you know, Kids can communicate even without words, basically. And it was a really good experience. It was a good experience for our kids there in Marseille and also for the kids that came out on the team to be able to, to see what, what it was actually like to, to have a friend who's Muslim. One of the, the boys there was at the end with, that was next to Vicky comes from a Muslim family. And so the, he hung out with the boys and they went to his house and you know, saw what it was like to be a Muslim family. They sat down at table and they ate food just like we do you know they don't have their heads screwed on backwards they don't have four arms or three eyes or anything and it was you know for um, for american kids to to have a muslim friend that just doesn't happen you know how many christians how many of you have a muslim friend you know there's like five six seven eight you know most of us you know and you know we just don't do that 
And so it was great for the kids to be able to, to see that, to have a more accurate view of Islam. Um, I'll let Vicky come up and share a little bit about her work with some of the women. Yeah. If you want to turn that light off again. You guys have to tell me if you can hear me because I'm completely blocked up. I can hardly hear anything. So raise your hand if it's if you can hear me. Okay. So I want to share two things, kind of uh, different women in my life that really have, uh, that's been a blessing, and also just the year for me, this last year. And I'll start first with, this is my physical therapist, Cecile. I had a partial knee replacement in December. I was seven days in the hospital there, and 45 sessions of physical therapy, which is They really do physical therapy. So in that, I became friends with Cecile. She is a French woman. She's not a believer. She, uh, I think I was like an alien to her, being an American, first of all, being a Christian, a believer. I'm the first believer I think she's ever met, and being a pastor's wife. So she was kind of like, who are you? But we developed a friendship. We've become good friends, and I've gotten to know her family. And in fact, uh, her and her family will be coming for Thanksgiving, which is very fun. Because they always hear about Thanksgiving, and they see it on all the American films. And they see the turkey. They, see, they hear about this pumpkin pie, which is strange to them to even think of that. So, because it's just not something that they would eat. So she'll be coming with her family, and we know her and her boyfriend real well. Um, This is her boyfriend, Fred. Cecile is in her early 40s. She has two kids, uh, Hugo, who's 10, a boy, and uh, Luna, who's 13. And actually how I got to know the family was I was willing to go over to Cecile's house to help Luna with English. And that was a natural way to get to know her and her family. She wasn't married to their father. She separated. She's had, this is her like second or third boyfriend since then. So she's very French. She's very lost. But in being French, she's different. She has welcomed me. She's opened her home. She's a lot more friendly and accepting. Even when I speak French with an American accent, she's very accepting of me. And she's like, no, it's charming. Don't change. That's you. And so I, I love that. <laughs> I love hearing that. So that's, that's Fred. Is there another? The next one is Dahlia. Can you do the next one? Okay, I'm technically challenged, actually. So this, this is at our home. This is with uh, Dahabia and her husband Ali, and he is the head of the Algerian Bible Society, and they live part-time in Marseille and part-time in Algeria. Dahabia, both both of them came out of Muslim families, and we've become good friends with both of them. And Dahabia and I have really developed a good friendship, and I'm very thankful for her. And in the future, we might be going into Algeria, different places to do women's conferences, and and that. So we're still kind of working out some of those details. Um, this is Magid, who is an Egyptian man married to Joan, who. It didn't get in the picture. I don't know why. She's but, the huh? She's taking the picture. Oh, she took the picture. So <laughs> that's why. So Megid is Egyptian, and he's a believer. And Joan is a believer from the UK, and they're married. And they're very good friends, and they're, very, they're on the same page doctrinally as we are. And when we were in the international church for a year, Rob was pastor for one year there, taking over the pastorate for the pastor that was on furlough, and we became very close with them, and so we'll be doing stuff with them, and we did, Joan and I did a women's Bible study at that international church, and we hope to continue that, and what's, there isn't a picture of Amina, who is the niece of Dahabia, the gal that you see there. Amina is in her 20s. She's a Muslim. She doesn't know the Lord, but I've been helping her with English, and we've started. We have a good friendship. And so it's been neat because these different women from different walks of life, 
it's interesting to me that the Lord, he's faithful to bring encouragement however he wants to. And it seems like with us, he's brought encouragement through unbelievers, just not through, we can't spiritually fellowship, but just inviting us in, which is, is it's really been neat. Our neighbors, when we lived downtown uh, in an apartment our first three years, it was our, our non-believing neighbors who invited us in, and we're part of their family now. But within the church, it's interesting, interesting that they're not quite as hospitable. That's something that if you pray about the French church, pray for hospitality. They're not hospitable. When we used to be at this one church, when new, new people came to the church, we would invite them to come sit with us. And so all the French believers are, oh, they're your good friends? No, we just met them, but we wanted to be with them because that's not something that they, they do. So that's a little bit about just the women. And Rob had mentioned that uh, we only had two women's groups at the Gypsy Church, and there's a reason for that. The pastor has to do everything within the Gypsy Church. And so what he had asked me to do is he was going to teach one week, and I think he was going to teach on five women to follow after, examples from the Bible, and five to not follow after. And he asked if the week following, if I would lead a discussion on how we can apply that, how we can put that into our lives, how we can practice what we just learned. And I said, yes. So he taught one week, and then I did the next week. And then the next week after that, the ladies were all excited about getting together, and the pastor's like, I don't have time. And so Rob said, well, Vicky can, Vicky's worked with women. She can, and he's like, well, I have to think about that. Because within a gypsy church, he does everything. And so it was a little bit frustrating because I think the women would have liked that. And so that was, that was a little bit hard. But the Lord works through that too. And we did marriage counseling with three couples uh, within the gypsy church. And with those women, I was able to have probably a little more interaction with than the others. And then the second thing that I wanted to share is, you know, we as missionaries, we're not superheroes. You probably think we are, but we're not. I would like to be. I love to see superhero movies because I'd like to be a superhero sometimes. I'd like to be able to do that. But it, this, this past year is, was a really, really hard year for me. And, sorry, I don't want to cry. But it's just, uh, I think part of it was within the Gypsy Church, too, um, it was not a worshipful time for me to go. It wasn't church, so to speak. It was three, three times a week. It was so loud that I had to wear earplugs, and I've lost hearing because of the loudness. And I grew up in the occult, and so I'm very sensitive to different spirits and different, and there was, it was very much an attack, I believe, just three times a week. And it was not something that I wanted to go to be a part because I know the Lord was using us, but it's not something I really wanted to do, because every time I went, it was just like being attacked between the loudness and the weird stuff that was going on, and we had really hoped to be able to talk to, pastor, talk to the pastor, Rob especially, to get together with him, but he never wanted to be available for that, and so it was just really, it was kind of a hard a hard year, and it's the first year we've been missionaries for 25 years, and it's the first year where I was, I'm just going to work at McDonald's. I'm just going to forget this. And I know that's not right, but the Lord uses. He uses those hard times. And, you know, I'm thankful just that we talked about that Jesus is our high priest, that he knows what we've gone through. He's been tempted in our weakness he will make he will be strong and that but and i think physically too it just was uh it just was kind of a hard year so i'm thankful for the lord's faithfulness there's a verse that i want to read if i can through the tears um and i had to bring my smallest bible ever and i cannot <laughs> i'm blind too so It says, my grace is sufficient to you, my power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will will rather boast upon my weaknesses, 
so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with uh, distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, I am strong. And there's something you could personally pray for me, is that I would be glad and well content. And that's something that I am learning. It's something that all of us, I think, have to learn. And, but it, it has been a struggle. It's just been, we've been there 11 years, and we've been at five different churches, and trying to work alongside the French pastors, the French church, they are very suspicious of anybody wanting to come alongside, even though we just, we just want to work together. But they don't have, um, uh, they don't understand working together. It's very much, it's kind of a one-person type thing, and, and if someone comes along like Rob, who's been better trained, they're very suspicious. And then they think, and even though Rob's like, we're not coming to take over the church, we want to work alongside you, work together for the gospel. But even with that, they're kind of like, no, we, nope, thank you, thanks for coming, bye-bye. And so I think part of it, too, is when we first came to France, it was right when America was invading Iraq and all that. And so we're like, hi, we're Americans. And they're like, what are you doing here? What do you think you can do here? And so part of it was political at the beginning, but it's been 11 years. We were 13 years in Chad working with a Muslim group, and the Muslims protected us with their lives. We were... We were in a couple situations where we were, our village was attacked, and it was our Muslim neighbors and the people in our village that protected us with their lives. And we came to the, the French church to believers, and we got a better reception with the Muslims. And that's a sad state, and I'm not saying that for them we've become friends, we're brothers and sisters with them, but it is a sad state of the church. And I think part of it is because within the French church, the Bible is not their authority. They have been taught that their philosophy equals what the Bible says. And we've heard that. We've heard this, well, I believe, well, I think, and I'm like, I'm sorry. It's what scripture says. It's not what you think. But that's the French system. They're taught philosophy. They're taught all this. So it's... It has been called the graveyard of missionaries. I can see why. We have a lot of friends that have come and gone, that have left the field, and that. But it is worthy of a witness. It is and there are people that God is working with and calling, and there are genuine believers who we're thankful, really, who are brothers and sisters in Christ that we love dearly. But it's a field that. Physically, Chad was super hard. There was malaria, there was everything else you can think of, poverty, the food really wasn't that good. France is beautiful, the food is really good, but spiritually, it is a desert. And we lived in the physical desert in Chad. But France is, it's hard to explain, it's, it's, it's more of a desert there than it ever was in Chad. So it's kind of, if you think, you know, pray for missionaries as they're going through these struggles, which we all do. Pray that we would be glad, that we would be content, that we would be honest with the Lord, honest with other believers, because we don't have the fellowship that you guys have here. Some do, and some of the fields have a little bit more fellowship, but some are kind of off on their own, and, you know, remember them. And you guys do, and we're thankful for your prayers. We're thankful for the way that you support your missionaries and that you love your missionaries. But it is, it is hard, and I can say that. I can say it with all honesty because we've been on the field for almost 25 years. And, you know, it, this last year was probably the hardest year ever. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. And, and I wouldn't trade this year, but it has been a, a just an extremely hard year. So are there any questions? Talk loud. So I'm going to ask the question, if you're being honest with us, why haven't you left? Why haven't we left? Yes, why haven't you left? Have you considered it? <laughs> the bread's good. No. 
really good bread. <laughs> I'm too stubborn and she's too mean. <laughs> now, I think that's a good question, though. Honestly, when we, when we were in India, we were like, we're ready to move to India. We want to go to India. I mean, and part of it, culturally, it's a lot like Chad, except for a lot more people and cows than Chad had. But we, we love that type of third world culture and that. And we also love the fact that the people are hungry to learn. And so it was a refreshing time for us, the three weeks. But do you want to answer? Why don't we leave? Well... Just because it's hard, and we have reflected on this, we have prayed about it, but just because it's hard doesn't necessarily mean that that is a time to leave either. Sometimes it is. We had to leave Chad because of medical. The only reason we left Chad, we really wanted to stay, but the Lord had had worked through medical issues on my part that that the door was closed. So, but at least for now, the doors doesn't seem to be closed in France. So, well, I think one of the other reasons is, I mean, even when we were in Chad, among the Muslim people, I mean, we were accepted, but it wasn't that people, you know, were coming forward, you know, and asking us what must we do to be saved. It was mainly maybe one believer that one man we saw come to Christ in the time there in Chad. But, um, you know, I mean, that's one of the a good question of even why send missionaries to places like that? Why waste your money? Um, but I think the, the biblical response to that is that Jesus Christ is worthy of a witness even among resistant people. Um, so that's, that's the primary reason. Um, and we, you know, and Paul said, you know, one sows and other reaps. And so hopefully we're, we're sowing and it's hard to know what, you know, what God is going to use in the future. Um, the, it was interesting that, I mean, we had hoped that the, the pastor would be more open. And at the beginning he was, he seemed to be more open to, uh, you know, to help. And then something happened, and it's, you know, if you're not part of the culture, it's one of those things that you'll never really understand and know about it. Um, some things started changing around Christmas, New Year's, and, um, you know, like Vicky said, it was like, you know, can we get together? If we're going to stay here, we told them we'd be there, be willing to help for a year, because we wanted to really understand the situation. Um, and we said if we were to stay longer than that, we would want to be part of the team and making decisions and plans. And um, so it's kind of like, you know, that sounds really good. Yeah, let's, let's do that. Okay, well, when can we meet to talk about this? Well, this week doesn't work out. Maybe next week I'll give you a call. And then next week comes and well, how about this week? Well, it's not going to work out. And I was like, okay, you're not working. So what are you doing? And why can't we get together? And after about five months of that, it kind of became evident. It's, um, any, of, any of you ever use the excuse when you were younger and, and a guy would call you and, and ask you out and you would say, I would love to, but I, I'm, I'm, I've, got, I've got to wash my hair tonight. <laughs> you know? And so as a guy, you, know, you call the girl and after about four or five times of her having to wash her hair, you eventually say, you know, it gets through your head, she really isn't interested in going out with me. And, and so after four or five months of trying to get together with the pastors, it became evident that, okay, he really isn't willing to, to share you know, decision-making and planning. And, and that's very much their culture. The pastor is it, um, like Vicky said. Um, even though he would preach that the older women were to teach the younger women, um, when I mentioned that, you know, if you're not available Saturdays to meet, you know, for the women's meeting, let Vicky do it. Ah, that, that was something that was outside of his comprehension. And it's like, you know, I'll have to think about that. And well, then months went by and, and so it, it kind of became evident that uh, we weren't going to be able to continue that. And we still have, we left on good terms. We, I was probably still go and preach there on occasion. A uh, number of the men, uh, we developed good relationships with them and some of the women, and hopefully be able to continue that. Um, which brings us to the next question is, what about the future? Um, one of the things that we've been doing for the last 
five, six, seven years is uh, working in Bible training uh, and, and have a, had a class. We started out with uh, three or four guys. This last year we're joining the Gypsy men and then a couple of other churches that came along that also people from came from their churches um again just trying to give them a biblical understanding of the bible and how to study the bible for themselves um and so we're i was talking to christian andresen who heads up the um if i can read it in german it's the evangelia let me see is it European Bible Training Center, that's what it is. My German's not really good. Um, but uh, trying to make our, our training class in Marseille something uh, affiliated with the EBTC, uh, make it a little more official, have some other uh, teachers come in. And to really begin, that's, we had tried to do this several years ago, and one of the pastors um, any pastor in France that's over 40 or 50 years old has had little, if any, formal training, and so they feel threatened by anyone that has formal training. And we tried to start a training, uh, some training in the, a couple of years ago. At first, the pastor was very enthusiastic, and then afterwards, he just crawfished. You know what that term means? Y'all don't know what the word crawfished means? Crawfish, they, they back up. They, the crawfish don't move forward. They, they, they move backwards. And so they, he backed, backed, backed out of that situation, that agreement. And because you know, it was, he saw that he would be threatened in his influence there in the church, um, even though we had a, lo- a number of about a dozen lay people in the church that, that had been looking for something like that. And so we're going to be formalizing our uh, training classes. Um, Christian and Martin Manson are going to be coming down in November to talk about how we can do that. The, um, the one man that you saw that Vicky said is Egyptian, he is a missionary, he and his wife are missionaries, and he is an Arabic speaker, native speaker, and because of the large Arabic-speaking population in Marseille, I've asked him if he would come along and teach some of the, some of the Bible classes in Arabic, and so he's going to be doing that, and so and that'll give us another uh, front into the, the community there in Marseille. And then also... Um, looking into the, po- the possibility of starting a new church. Um, this is uh, just some ideas that we've been kicking around for several years called the Église Evangelique de la Côte Bleue. Uh, you might have heard of the, uh, the Riviera. The, in French, that's called the Côte d'Azur, Azure, the Azure Blue Coast. Azure is like a fancy word for blue. Well, that's closer to Italy than Marseille is. And so the, the coast along Marseille is called the Blue Coast. It's just rather than Azure, it's Blue Coast. And so we, we took this name, and we'll see if we continue that. But the, uh, the Evangelical Church of the Blue Coast. And um, looking to see who, who we can partner with, uh, whether it be some French um, or some people from some of the sister churches that are in France, uh, maybe from John Glass's church or another church in the, the Lyon area. So those are the two things that we'd re- really appreciate prayer for. Uh, we're hoping that some of the gypsy men will continue to, t- to come to these classes. They really enjoy the classes. They said they'd never had anything like that before. Hopefully they'll continue that. Um, and then also wisdom as we... Continue research in and, and, and partner with others. Uh, Maggot and his wife have expressed some interest in that. Uh, Ali and uh, Dahabia also have expressed some interest because they also have had some struggles. It's like you know, trying to work alongside uh, uh, some of the churches in, in, in Marseille. The, most of them are, are charismatic, at least mildly charismatic. Um, and there's only four or five conservative churches, and only one or two of those would be somewhat like-minded. So, um, 
Because even though there's some churches there, there's still a huge need um, for biblical expository churches in that area. And so appreciate your prayers for that. Any other questions as we wrap things up? Yes, ma'am. No. No, the, our desire was, was rather than come in and start a church with an American pastor to help a French pastor um, grow up. And we still might be able to do that, but it would probably need to be a young pastor that's, you know, you know hasn't become fixed in his, his ideas. No, no. The church we have we have pretty much as much freedom of religion. Even the the separation between church and state is a, a little better in France, I think, than it is over here. Uh, the mayor's office they they knew that it was a church that was doing the basketball outreach, even though we have a separate uh, association. And they said, we realize that you're doing this for publicity for your church. But if it's, it's also going to help the neighborhood, and as long as it's open to any, any of the, the kids in the neighborhood, and as long as, as you're not using that to proselytize, and, you know, then we don't have any problem with that. And they support us. They give us drinks and T-shirts and basketballs and trophies and, and all the supplies for that. So it's, they, they realize that the church is a, um, an agent for good in the neighborhood, even though they ha- we have to go through, a, a, in a sense, a non-secular a association that we form. Um, yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've done, uh, we've had computer classes, English classes, uh, we had a youth group, we had kids clubs in the housing projects. Uh, the kids clubs in the housing projects went very well until um, even the publicity that we had for them said that it was, we're going to be studying Bible stories, but I don't think a lot of the parents understood what that meant until their kids came home and, and were singing the song, Everything the Bible Says is True, True, True. And the Turkish community cut their kids off. The uh, Comorian Islands, and a Muslim kingdom off the coast of Africa, they stopped their kids from coming. And then the, the Arab community stopped their kids from coming. So it's... Um, there's, there's not, you can't do some of the after-school things like they have the Bible clubs and so forth um, here in the States. But, um, yeah, it's basically, you know, like you said, you try every avenue to try to get, you know, basically, basically just to make contact with people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've used, we've done that. Um, I mean, that's we had the basketball camps. We handed out a, a DVDs of a number of uh, soccer players, international soccer players, who are believers that give their testimony. And so each of the kids got a copy of that DVD. Um, and it's we've had one of the ladies that came to an, Eng- an English class uh, when she heard one of the the testimonies of a of a group that came. She said. That's what I have been looking for for years. But my husband is Muslim, and if I tried to come to your church, that would cause problems in my family. And I just can't. Even though she saw that that was what she was, had been looking for, she still wasn't willing to, to make that and it's it is a huge step for anyone associated with a Muslim community because that will mean you know leaving your family um, so it's a huge huge step for them 
I'm sorry to have to end this, but we're over our time, and I know there's children in the nursery, maybe. Who knows? You all look so young. (laughs) But if you want to talk with Rob and Vicki about this, I'm sure they'd be happy to talk to you afterwards. So let's go ahead and pray for them. Lord, we just thank you so much for Rob and Vicki and um, just so, for their service to you, Lord, in um, difficult places. First of all, just a desert where it was difficult to live and not comfortable and um, very inconvenient. And now, Lord, in a beautiful place where people are just not interested in knowing you. And um, we just pray that you would continue to give them the stamina that they need to, to serve you there. And um, just pray that you would guide them and give them wisdom and just pray that if it might be your will that um, this training would work out that maybe he could partner Rob would be able to partner with different guys there in Europe and I'm sure there must be French pastors there who need training Lord especially if they haven't even been trained and we just pray Lord that you would um, work in the hearts of some of these people too it sounds like they might be very prideful and just not willing to accept help from anyone from America (laughs) especially maybe I don't know but just pray Lord that you would work in people's hearts because we know that um No one can be saved without that unless you first work in their heart, Lord. And um, we also know that without that, you know, your will, without your working, your will will not be accomplished, Lord. And just pray that you would guide Rob and Vicki and give them wisdom. Just pray also about the possible church plant and um, just pray that you would show them what your will might be and encourage them too, Lord. We pray also for um, for the Gypsy Church, and um, we just thank you, Lord, that those people are going to church, and we pray that their pastor would be teaching your truths so that they might grow closer to you, and just pray that you would work in their hearts, and we thank you that some of those men are training, attending um, Rob's training. Just pray that they would continue, and Lord, we pray for all the kids that have attended I don't know how many camps that Rob and Vicki have put on there. And we just pray, Lord, that, like Rob said, that they would be seeds that you would use in their lives later on. We just pray that these kids wouldn't be lost, but that they would come to know you and that maybe their parents would even come to know you through that, Lord, we pray. We pray for Cecile and um, her boyfriend, Fred, and their kids, Hugo and Luna. And we just pray, Lord, that... They might see that Rob and Vicki love you, and that they might see the truth in that, Lord. We know that no one's going to even believe your word unless you first give them that faith, and we just pray that they might come to know you. We just pray that um, you would also work in the hearts of those um, of the girls that uh, Vicki is, is meeting with. And that, that possible ministry there for the women's conferences, if that might be your will, that that would work out as well, Lord, we pray. Just guide them, Lord. Please help Vicki to be glad and just content, just as we all struggle with being content and um, just always having joy and always being thankful for everything. We just pray that you would help her as well. Help us too, as when we struggle to pray and um, to remember Vicki, too, as we're sometimes unhappy, even though we have more than everything we need, Lord. And we just thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. And we just thank you for your mercy. We're not worthy of, of your help in any way. And yet you are so kind and merciful and faithful, Lord. We thank you. Amen.